The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Welcome to Sox Machine Live, everybody. I am Josh Nelson. It is July 8th, 2021, as we are streaming this show live on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Machine, and also for those that are watching live on SoxMachine.com. Or through Periscope, if you're watching us live on Twitter, thank you so much for doing so. Uh, again, I'm Josh Nelson, alongside the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis, and uh, we'll get to Jim in a moment. But there is a, a lot to chat about for the Chicago White Sox in the man in the just the last 24 hours, uh, and it's not even the games. Uh, the White Sox won two out of three. Uh, against the Minnesota Twins in Minneapolis, and Carlos Rodon and Lance Lynn continue to be awesome. Uh, what what more can you say about those guys? Uh, they're going to the All Star Game for a reason. I think Shohei Otani ultimately is going to be the American League All Star starting pitcher. It, if you if you're not on the Shohei Otani bandwagon, you're going to get a lot of Shohei Otani in this upcoming All Star Game. The home run derby. I'm expecting him to start the all-star game. Uh, he'll stay in the game and probably get some at-bats at DH or in the outfield. Uh, he's earned it, though. He, he's he been one of the best players in in all of Major League Baseball. But Lance Lynn's going to get an inning. Carlos Rodon's going to get an inning. We may see Liam Hendricks uh, also get an inning. Uh, and they deserve it. And the White Sox right now are in first place. They continue to be in first place in the American League Central at a 51 and 35 record, they're on pace, Jim, to win 96 games. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Cleveland is 500 now, uh, and Detroit is catching them. So did, <laughs> Cleveland's eight games back of the White Sox. I can't believe I'm saying this, Jim. The Detroit Tigers are now three and a half games back of Cleveland. So I'll have to maybe reach out to. Some folks we know that cover the Cleveland Indians and just ask them because it's mm-hmm. they're in a weird position because one, it's like, wow, just a couple of weeks ago, we're two games back of the White Sox and you can still dream and hope winning the American League Central. 
Now it looks like they're just running away from us. And here comes Detroit making a sweat for second place in the American League Central. Yeah, it's uh, really bizarre. And I think, you know, it's the White Sox having played the Astros in the race first and struggling, kind of looking mortal against those teams. I think that was what was... Uh, it maybe would have helped to have the White Sox play the Astros afterwards, get an understanding of like, oh, well, one, you know, the Astros are good. The Rays are good. Two, uh, the White Sox are not unique in their problems in the AL Central. In fact, uh, other teams have it worse. So, you know, I guess on one hand, it's a little bit, uh, you know, I guess there, there's a benefit to struggling like that just because you learn um, what exactly your shortcomings are, how far away a team is from having a good chance in winning a seven-game series against a team like Houston. So, you know, it helps to have that little bit of a scare, I think. It's beneficial. Um, but when you see what uh, Houston or Cleveland did afterwards, Cleveland's now been no hit or held hitless three times this year. Uh, I guess Zach Plesak is coming back, but the rotation is still in shambles. It's, it's uh, whatever problems the White Sox have, um, they're just, they just pale in comparison. Like after, um, you know, just after like a couple weeks, like, Oh no, the White Sox lineup is a mess or the outfield's a mess. Well, here's Cleveland's entire rotation out <laughs> or demoted. Yeah. yeah here's yeah. Uh, you know, getting, uh, kind of clocks cleaned by Houston. Oh, here's a four game sweep. Just, they have a way of just, uh, you know, Cleveland has a way of outpacing what the White Sox are doing wrong and having their own problems. So, uh, I don't mind that. I welcome that and invite it, of course, but, uh, it is surprising especially combined with just how minnesota looks lost and done for the year i can't believe on july 7th the chicago white Sox won the season series against the minnesota twins jim the white Sox are 10 and 2 10 yeah. and 2 against the minnesota twins in 2021 i think if you told us that if we can go back and visit our past selves in the middle of march and tell ourselves by the way with, with Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert out for significant time of the season, and they're going to miss significant games between the Twins, the White Sox won 10 out of 12. There's no way, no way I would have believed mm-hmm. my present self back in March. But that's where the White Sox are, and they could finish 15-4, and 16-3, against the Minnesota Twins because, as you mentioned, Jim, they look lifeless. And I think it's pretty apparent. I don't think Nelson Cruz is on that Minnesota Twins team at the end of the month. Uh, I could see them making multiple moves uh, to just, you know, add some guys to their farm system, maybe add some AAA guys that they think are interesting that could help them in 2022. Uh, This is, I don't know if it's a wake-up call. I, I just think that, it's a knockout punch for the Minnesota twins. So for the white Sox right now, as we're chatting about them again at 51 and 35 and eight games ahead of second place in the American league central, uh, I kind of want to start the show off this way. For me, it's like, we have to re we have to readjust our sight on the 2021 season where for so long, it's just win the American league central and if you can do that, it's it's a great accomplishment. It's the first division title since 2008. It's the first time in franchise history that they're going back to the postseason uh, in back-to-back seasons. Those are big accomplishments, and that can really help this organization go take the next step in 2022 and beyond. 
But with the division seemingly in hand in the middle of mm-hmm. July, it's like, why not think about the American League pennant? Because you got some good news coming along the way. You got some time between now and July 31st to add some more pieces to make this team stronger. Every single person you're calling up from AAA is having a terrific start. Uh, maybe the lasting power doesn't, you know, last that long, but everyone's having a terrific start, no matter who you're calling Mm up. I guess for me, I'm readjusting my sights to, yeah, go and win the American league pennant. Are you readjusting your sights and what this season could be for the white Sox in 2021? I think a a little bit. I think the division is still an accomplishment just because, as you mentioned, it's been forever since they've won it. Also, they, you know, it's a war of attrition this year and it it doesn't feel real impressive to win a war of attrition when you're just like the least flawed team or the, you know, least dragged down, (laughs) I guess, like just limping, you know, kind of crawling across the finish line, but everybody else is just face down in the dirt, you know, miles behind. Just like, that's, I think it was like the 1904 uh, Olympic marathon that was kind of like that. Just, you know, people, uh, there's a great, uh, John Boyce, uh, video about that, just how, uh, poorly planned the marathon was. And like people, you know, runners were breathing in gas fumes and passing out from cars that were ahead, like early automobiles. that were ahead. <laughs> so like three people finished the race and a bunch of people like got sick and died. It's <laughs> kind of what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. That's what this kind of feel. I think some uh, is poorly marked and some people got lost or run, ran off the track and did not finish. Like, I'll have to watch it because this, now that I'm talking about this, it feels very apropos, and I want to make sure that you know I'm, I'm yeah that I'm thinking about this. I'm remembering the, the particulars correctly, but that's what it feels like. That it's that kind of race. So it's not impressive to having won it, but it's still a gold medal. Mm-hmm. And the White Sox have lost those kind of divisions before, where they just ran out of players, ran out of talent, had the wrong guys up, had uh, you know Carlos Quinton breaking his wrist, he had Kevin Euclid's back given out just you know, just wheezing across the finish line, winning or not, just not having the guys to really go far. So I think, you know, it's still a testament to the team's depth or resilience that they would be able to win it, even if the division is not that impressive. But I I think, you know, knock on wood, but, you know, I think the goal would be to wrap up the division with like a week or so lead time just to be able to line people up and rest people because that's yeah you know, i'm thinking about the last time they made a traditional postseason which was 2008 and uh they needed every they had to win three different games and three different series and they didn't have their rotation lined up and just needed you know they they had uh, javi vasquez <laughs> leaning too much on him and just i think it'd be a nice opportunity to give guys some rest and you know, have everybody lined up the way that they couldn't get them lined up last year and in uh 2008 I'm going to be in Arlington, Texas for that Sunday game against the Texas Rangers. And I'm not trying to get cocky, Jim. I've got a feeling, am I attending the game the White Sox clinched the American League Central? I I, yeah, I know that may sound crazy because there's still like two more weeks left to go in the season. But we've seen teams clinch their divisions with two weeks left to go. I think the Dodgers have recently done it. And, you know, if Cleveland doesn't, you know, get back to where they were in April and May, uh, if Detroit overtakes Cleveland for second place in the American League Central, Mm -hmm. uh, then why not? Why wouldn't I be going to the division clincher in the middle of September? (laughs) Because every team is uh, trying to stay away from 500 at that point. That's really the only way you can... (laughs) diving for the division yeah pretty much i need that draft pick yeah going for the number one pick (laughs) yeah it's uh 
I want to say it was Hitless Wonder on Sox Machine, like floated the idea of the White Sox selling uh, just because it's hard to imagine like the, the outfield and just like, no, like and that's like, that's kind of like when just flexibility brain takes over and you just have to keep maintaining uh, uh, endlessly churning towards not committing in any direction. <laughs> so it kind of feels like that's if the White Sox were somehow able, you know, uh, sputtering as well to the finish line and just nobody ends up like actually crossing the tape. <laughs> that's that's kind of what it would look like. But I, I remember in 2012, I went, I came home to Chicago for the last series of the year thinking they could clinch. And that was when uh, they got wiped out by Tampa. None of the games mattered. I saw the Misfit Grand Slam. <laughs> that was. I was uh, at that game, Orlando Hudson. Yeah, that was pretty sad. <laughs> oh, dog. Yeah. <laughs> So that's that's why I do, I think for the time being I'm going to give up on trying to anticipate uh, uh, clinchers just because I feel like that's bad luck. Now postseason game doesn't count because whatever postseason game you can get you go to. So I don't uh, I don't count that as uh, jinxing a clincher. But I think when it comes to regular season I'm not going to try to anticipate that. All right, so let's get into the news items here because another series win against the Minnesota Twins. There's really nothing earth-shattering coming out of that series. Again, everyone that the White Sox have been calling up continues to hit. Adam Engel is back. Jake Berger's hitting. Gavin Sheets is hitting. Billy Hamilton's making Superman catches in center field. Brian Goodwin is still good. Uh, yeah, the bad news is Yasmani Grandal is going to be out four to six weeks, and we'll get to that in a moment when we look at Trey Talk to see and how the White Sox recover from missing Yasmani Grandal. But the big news, the first item, is that we get to say goodbye to Adam Eaton again, Jim. Mm -hmm. uh, for those that have just recently discovered us, if you just recently followed us on Twitter or just recently found Socks Machine, Jim and I have been podcasting. This is our eighth season now. So we've already said goodbye to Adam Eaton once during the winter meetings back in 2016. And here we are in 2021 saying goodbye to Adam Eaton again. You wrote a fantastic column about this on SoxMachine.com, Jim, and I highly recommend everyone going to the site and to read that column. But just to kind of touch on a few points that you wrote about, are you surprised that the White Sox did this now, that this was the time to DFA Adam Eaton in order to make a roster spot for Adam Engel to return? I am surprised that it's in early July rather than late July. I think that's my extent of a surprise comes to a matter of weeks or the roster moves or lack thereof that forced him out. Like I, I thought maybe given that, you know, we've seen the White Sox outfield, like the it kind of balances on uh, like Luis Gonzalez being the guy if he's called up and it's emergency. If he's in Charlotte, it's fine. <laughs> like that's kind of the litmus test or the indicator for just how dire things have gotten. And they're still like one outfield injury now away from Luis Gonzalez. So I thought as long as that was the case, that Adam Eaton would still be around, there'd be a way to use him. You could, you could justify sending Jake Berger down to AAA because his defense, I still think it's worth giving him every day playing time at third base for the time being because they are only like a Yohan Moncada injury away from needing him. So I don't think it hurts necessarily for him to go down, get every day playing time. So if they wanted to buy a couple weeks doing that and have Eaton come back and just, you know, I prefer to have him around just in case there's another uh, episode of outfield misfortune, then I could see him serving a purpose. But uh, ultimately, big picture, 
he just wasn't producing. His legs seemed to not be there, like not so much in the field. seems like he's moving okay in the field, but just not, uh, not under him at the plate, not hitting the ball with any authority, not being able to get infield singles, not a threat on the base paths. So when you don't have that going for him and the right field play is merely adequate, like it's better than, say, Gavin Sheets or Jake Lamb, but it's not anything... Not plus, he's not really contributing or adding to the team that way. And you have Adam Engel back and you have Billy Hamilton, you have Larry Garcia who can play out there. Like there just isn't anything really he offers. So I guess, you know, him being off the roster in July at some point, not a surprise, but I figured they could have waited a couple weeks if they wanted to. So I guess the question is like, why didn't they want to? Keep him around? Yeah. That's, yeah, I think that's a good question. Uh the lesson about Adam Eaton's time with the White Sox the second time. There is a lesson to be learned in all this, especially from Rick Hahn, because you pose really good questions, Jim. Like, you could make the case for signing Adam Eaton during the offseason if it was late January and none of the other outfielders are going to take your money, but Adam Eaton will. So you bring Adam Mean back and you're hoping that he has this dead cat bounce that we talked about during spring training. And we thought we were watching it during April and then he gets hurt. And then it just seems like he never recovered, even coming after uh, coming off the injured list. Just he had a 94 weighted runs created plus against right-handed pitching. Mm-hmm. You brought him in to help out with right-handers. He wasn't even doing that well. He mm-hmm. wasn't even league average against right-handers. Uh, and he doesn't play that great of defense in right field. So where's the value here out of the $8 million that you committed to Adam Eaton? Is there a lesson to be learned for Rick Hahn after this episode of the the Adam Eaton, uh, I guess, 2021 version? Yeah, I guess you know, it's the same lesson that's been illustrated in previous off seasons, which is like when he just tries to cut corners in right field, it doesn't work. I mean, just kind of incrementally upping the spending from John Jay to Nomar Mazzara to Adam Eaton. Now just, he doesn't have, uh, it doesn't seem like he or his evaluators have the acumen to identify good position player rebounds. Like Carlos Rodon, I think is, you know, that's, you know, one case of, a. you know, a free agent signing him and James McCann are basically the free agent signings that have like blown expectations out of the water. Like I thought would be, well, I thought McCann would be just mediocre. And I thought Rodon would be hurt. Like I thought Rodon had some upside, but just wouldn't be available for it. So the fact that he's, you know, knock on wood healthy and also just, uh, all-star form in maintaining it. Uh, that's, I, I think, uh, you know, a big feather in his cap, but it's also like a player he had a player. The white Sox knew when it comes to like identifying outside talent and looking for them to offer starting contribution, like starter grade contribution, just really hard for him to do really hard for the white Sox to do. And you see like Bryce Harper, the same weekend getting five hits against the Cubs in a game, just electrifying, uh, you know, the uh, Wrigley field across town. Um, it's, you know, that, that's kind of what you look at and say like, you spend money, uh, either you spend money to make money in the case of Harper because he would have brought interest in fans and seats or, you know, you get what you pay for and you get like quality and a high floor with Harper. And when you have like a guy like Eaton, you know, it's, you know, it's, I guess they would consider it low risk, high reward, but it's almost like high risk, low reward because the risk is that he's not rosterable um, past July. <laughs> and the reward is that you're hoping for an average player. So I think that, I think the calculation here was all off. And so I think if there's a, uh, you know, I guess the lesson to be learned 
And if you're looking at like Rodon versus Eaton, uh, Rodon was a late January signing, a good use of the money at that time of the offseason, even if it wasn't like my ideal fit for a fifth starter spot or starter depth. Um, at least there was upside there. So it's a high risk play, but also like if he is able to um, turn that rediscovered velocity into movement into a, a plus pitch, then he's back. But with Eaton, just you're seeing the physical skills diminish. You were seeing the, uh, and with him, the physical skills, the speed, him being such a BABIP reliant player, uh, undercutting his offense, like basically uh, taking away his meal money. That's where I think like you just have to look, what does a player do well? And if that player is like losing that thing he does well, what do you have? And with Eaton, just there wasn't much to have. Is this the worst free agent signing during Rick Hahn's tenure? No, that would be DeAndre Navarro. Oh. <laughs> I think oh. when you add what the White Sox gave up, what the White Sox non-tendered, you factor in the non-tender of Tyler Flowers to get a catcher who is worse in every facet. God, that, that was so stupid. Oh, yeah. 2016. Woo! <laughs> yeah, as in Rec, uh, I just mentioned the chat, Kelvin Herrera, which is also yeah, not that's good. Not, so yeah, Jeff that's Kepinger, yeah. Just we're going to getting all of them rolling in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Jo- Joseph with Edwin Encarnacion. Just get all of uh, <laughs> the signings are rolling in. I still think Navarro had the worst thought process behind it. So that's why he I say did. him. But yeah, yeah, there's a lot of competition. Yeah. All right. So that's... Uh, that's the the book on Adamine. Is there going to be chapter three of Adamine to the White Sox? God, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> what did you think of Brian Goodwin's tweet? I didn't think it had anything to do with Adamine. I just thought it was a getaway day and he was pumped to be in the lineup and take on the Minnesota Twins. But if it was yeah. related to Adamine, <laughs> that's all I can yeah. do is just laugh. Be like, well, nothing, I guess some things don't change. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I don't think so. I don't think there'd be anything to gain from Goodwin doing that. It's not like he's entrenched in the, the roster, that he's a, he's a part of the fabric of the clubhouse. I think he's been a, a plus contributor, but just, you know, when it comes to his job spilly this year, where he's been the last two years, I don't think he would, unless everybody in the clubhouse, like, disliked Eaton, <laughs> and he's like, there's no risk in him uh, issuing a vaguely worded tweet, which... You know, given Eaton's history as possible, and given that, you know, uh, I'm thinking the other one, you know, where they cut a guy with a lot of money left, uh, it, there have been a couple of cases, Yonder Alonzo was another one, but when it comes to, uh, you know, surprise um, indifference towards keeping a player they could potentially use is Jeff Kepinger. You know, they, they let him go in his second season, he didn't surface, Robin Ventura really didn't pay attention to his attempt at a comeback and the White Sox cut him and they tagged him in a tweet saying they're cutting him. <laughs> it was just, uh, it was all sorts of cold all the way around. And uh, that's a case where the Eaton, you know, maybe that is, you know, that kind of history repeating a little bit to where like nobody's sad to see him go. And, you know, I mentioned that, I remember I wrote about it um, saying like, wow, this is, you know, Marcus Semyon is the only one saying anything remotely uh, heartfelt about Kepinger, <laughs> everybody else was a very procedural tone. And, and I got a couple of DMs saying like, yeah, he was not, not a good guy or just kind of a jerk or just heard some other things about him. And then, you know, seeing him on Twitter, uh, the way his Twitter kind of like, oh yeah, probably was. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Well, I believe Adamine has made enough money to pay his mortgage. So, and, uh, you know, team USA, 
could use some players, some veterans for the the Summer Olympics in Tokyo. And boy, that would make covering the Olympic team really interesting if he reunited with Todd Frazier. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. I had to think where you're going for a second. Like, oh, Todd Fowler. Yeah. I got a virtual so. press credential to be part of the Zoom meetings during the Olympics, which is becoming... Mm-hmm. I guess they're not going to have fans now because Tokyo is going into a state of emergency. But that would make covering the Olympics really fun. <laughs> you brought back. I'm just picturing them like swinging, like uh, using like their medals, like maces, <laughs> just choking each other <laughs> on the podium. <laughs> oh, God, that's terrible. All right. So we say goodbye to Adam Eden. Now it's time for some awesome news. And as soon as it pops up on the YouTube stream, Eloy Jimenez is back and uh, he is going to be in his rehab assignments. He's going to be joining the Winston-Salem dash. I think he's going to go from the dash to the Charlotte Knights. This seems to be the plan for the White Sox. They're very close to each other. Obviously Winston-Salem and Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, I don't know if he's going to travel with the team. The last time I paid this close of attention to a long-term rehab was when Carlos Rodon was coming back from his Tommy John surgery, and he just bounced around to whatever affiliate was playing at home in North Carolina. So it would be like Winston-Salem. He'll then go to start a game in Kannapolis, and then he'll go start a game in Charlotte. They just kept him in North Carolina. So I don't, I'm not sure if Aloy is going to be traveling with the team on the road, that'd be kind of cool for the Winston-Salem dash, but he's going to start his rehab assignment for me. And it works out for you. So where is he going to be that you're like, what an hour away? Yeah. Bowling green, Kentucky. It's like the furthest West. Um, Yeah. It wasn't obviously part of the Carolina league, but now with the uh, high a East expanding, like Bowling green was one of the weird affiliates that kind of had nowhere to go, but was like grabbed into that league. So it's the furthest jaunt West for the dash and it takes them about an hour north of Nashville. So here's hoping cause that would be uh that would be great to see him. And uh, I'm wondering, you know, there are two things I'm wondering about with, with Jimenez's uh, rehab stint is one, like with COVID protocols, do players have to stay with one team longer um, in, in order to like, you know, meet a certain threshold. And if they can, I don't know if they can jump roster to roster like that. I thought there was some kind of limitation for, how quickly a player could be moved. Uh, so there's that, but also like Rodon being a pitcher, maybe it's easier to manage his schedule, you know, win at home or like not have him travel the team if he's not going to start that sort of thing. So yeah, good. Point. I'm just trying to talk myself into seeing Jimenez an hour and away. And uh, I'd probably be going Tuesday, just the first possible game because he might not last the entire six game series. So, well, let's talk about that because he technically can be on his rehab assignment for 20 days I don't have details of what he was doing at the spring training facility in Glendale, Arizona. Uh, thanks to Luis Roberts, TikTok, uh, we've seen him in uniform, Robert, at least. So I'm assuming that Robert is playing some type of scrimmage games in the backfields to get back into quote unquote baseball playing shape. And maybe we can make the same logical assumption regarding Aloy Jimenez I have a feeling, Jim, that the White Sox want to give Jimenez the full 20-day rehab treatment because that also buys some additional time for them to get an additional extended look at Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger before they'd have to send one of those two down to AAA for Aloy to replace them and be in the lineup every day. Uh, So that puts Aloy at July 28th, in which the team's going to be in Kansas City. 
And that's when I expect Eloy to be in a White Sox uniform again and in the lineup is in Kansas City. And then coming back to a very raucous crowd uh, as Cleveland comes into town in the last series of July. And uh, I've got a feeling that series will definitely sell out for those three games. Um, But obviously he can come back sooner. So how are you feeling, Jim? When do we see Eloy Jimenez in a White Sox uniform? I think the end of the month is a good target just because, you know, you have the severe injury and uh, months of being cold. So it, it kind of goes along the lines with, you know, basically what I was thinking with Nick Madrigal uh, before the season and, um, you know, various outfield situations in the past. Saying like, you know, you don't want to count too much on somebody who's been four months away needing them. <laughs> as long as the White Sox don't need him. Just, you know, let him go about his business. Let him, you know, be a game on, a game off just to, uh, you know, the way guys normally do as they get back, like, you know, getting two at-bats in one game, four at-bats in another. I don't, I can't imagine he's going to be playing much outfield in either the minors or the, uh, even the majors at this point. I, I just don't see a reason to. I know he wants to, but I think when you see the way Andrew Vaughn is playing and, I think the way Andrew Vaughn's playing left should recalibrate standards for a lot of people, Jimenez included. Like, I'm hoping, you know, Jimenez said he wasn't watching all the White Sox games because it made him sad to be missing out on it. But I'm hoping at least he's watching enough or, you know, I guess when they're trying to sit down and create a plan for him, like they, they show his routes versus Vaughn's and they show like his, you know, Vaughn's stability on routine flies, routine-ish flies, versus Jimenez and say like, here's why you're DHing. <laughs> here's, here's kind of like, you know, here, here's one, here's the other, here's one, here's the other, like similar plays, like look it up on StatCast, just fly balls to left with a similar exit velocity or, or their internal tracking system with, you know, how far a guy had to run and just show them like, you know, this is not, we're not doing this because um, we want to make you angry. We're doing this because uh, this this helps uh, us out and it's less of a hazard to you and everybody around you. So for the rest of the year, at least, I imagine DH will be most the way he goes unless there's you know another outfield crisis and we, we might have to go out there. But uh, after the season, I think that's when it gets interesting because I think Vaughn, he's played well enough to where he can be an everyday left fielder, especially if like you improve the situation right to where he's the worst defensive outfielder you have. By far, that's not bad. You can live with that. Uh, when it comes to uh, Jimenez, though, just you don't want to give up on him because he has the physical speed to play it. But I just don't know when you throw in the towel on, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, clumsiness. <laughs> just say, like, the coordination isn't going to prove it. I know John Greenberg in his uh, col- uh, wrote an po- article about Jimenez's uh, kind of like an article column because he included some perspective on it. Uh, but he said like Alfonso Soriano just worked with Dave McKay, you know, over and over and over again. Uh, and he has a Tony La Russa connection, Dave McKay. And apparently that was enough to get it done. And so he suggested the same thing and it's going to need some kind of, um, just either not a crash course, but like an extended cram session in order to think it's possible. But I think they'd like to go into spring training next year, having a clue, like having just an idea of just how good Jimenez is going to be and how soon he's going to be that good. Because I think uh, another winter or and uh, and spring like this past one where, you know, he gets just he risks himself getting hurt, <laughs> for unnecessary reasons uh, on an uncoordinated play like you just can't have that happen again. I can see. So if Aloy Hammond joins the team in July twenty eighth, 
maybe 10 games at most that he would be playing in left field. Uh, only because maybe Jose Abreu needs a day off his feet and he needs to be at DH and Andrew Vaughn gets moved to first base and then Aloy goes to left field. Yeah, Aloy becomes Andrew Vaughn's defensive backup in left field. That's that's how I feel. So I know he sounded like he was a bit depressed <laughs> or maybe a bit sad to hear that, hey, Tony Russo thinks you're going to be DHing a lot when you return. And obviously, he doesn't feel like he, he wants to be a permitted DH at such a young age. But we did get a question that came through Periscope during the live stream. Should the White Sox treat Aloy Jimenez much like Houston treats his, treats Jordan Alvarez? And I feel like the White Sox really don't have a choice, Jim. At, at some point, Aloy just needs to understand that your bat is so valuable. It is where your value is. If you're not going to get better defensively for XYZ reason, then we kind of need to protect yourself from yourself. And you only get hurt when you're playing in the outfield. So yeah, just start mentally preparing that you are our DH. Especially this year, I think with Vaughn looking decent and left, uh, there's really no re like, what are you putting them out there for? Like with, uh, you know, two months left in the season or one month left in the season, uh, depending on when he comes back. Uh, what's that one month going to do when he's already, you know, coming back from months long absence and is just trying to get his timing back at the plate, like adding left field in there. Like that's not going to help the white Sox. not going to really help him. He's not going to get better with two months worth of reps because he hasn't gotten better with six months worth of reps. He got a little bit better from his like very first weeks uh, in the majors, but he kind of plateaued for a lot of, you know, 2020. And then he had the uh, injury at the end of the year and then he gets injured at spring. So like, there's just not a whole lot of momentum saying like, here's a, uh, this is going to benefit everybody by him getting out there. Like he just, I think they're better off instilling that mindset now and saying like, work on it in the winter you know, uh, just rent a coach or have Tony La Russa, like, uh, you know, talk to Dave McKay and say like, Hey, I got a guy I want you to work with and hit like 5,000 fungos at him, uh, to, to, uh, you know, get better on his routes. Cause Daryl Boston just didn't have, maybe didn't have the chops to, uh, get through to him, but either way, just, uh, I think it needs to be an off season thing. And then, you know, should spring roll around April around, roll around and it's not improving. Then I think, there probably has to be an understanding that this could be very well be the way it goes if there is an improvement. Use it as off-season motivation, fine, but when it comes to like big picture roster plans, I don't think they can allow that feeling to get in the way. Well, there's the Dominican Winter League. He likes playing there, at least to to stay fresh during the off-season to f- to face live pitching. Maybe not so much of a focus on live pitching. Maybe, yeah, you do need to play defense when you're... All-time defense. Yeah, all-time defense. <laughs> yeah, no swings. Uh, you got to earn them. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just exciting though because this lineup needs more power. And boy, if he sounds super confident that he is much stronger today than he was during spring training. And before the season, before he Vince Cartered the left field wall gym, I really did think that Aloy Jimenez had a serious chance of challenging Albert Bell's single season home run record, which Albert Bell hit 49. 
And I, I think Jimenez still has the potential to hit 50 home runs. In another timeline, maybe Jimenez is right there with Shohei Otani and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. challenging for the home run title in the American League. And we're all getting crazy thinking, can he get to 60? Uh, but I, I, I'm excited that... Cherizy him- saying 74. <laughs> exactly, Cherizy <Therese laughs> 74. Which, you know... Still a possibility. I mean, there, he's going to play some games, so we can't discount the 74 home run prediction from our friend Cherizy at From the 108, uh, which, by the way, uh, for those that are watching the live stream, they're going to be streaming live at 8.30 tonight on YouTube.com slash From the 108, so definitely check them out uh, after our show. Uh, but, yeah, I'm just really excited, and it's going to be great to just see even Aloy Jimenez in a Winston-Salem Dash uniform. I'm so glad that I have the minor league baseball subscription package. Definitely going to be watching those games, and uh, I can't wait. I can't wait until the end of the month when Aloy Jimenez is finally back in a White Sox uniform. Come on, Bowling Green. Come on, Bowling Green. I don't. I think that's the first time anyone has ever uttered those words that have not gone to the university. I believe they are the Falcons, if I remember I so. correctly. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's talk about the trades because we are inching closer to the trade deadline. And there was something that caught my attention yesterday, and this was reported by Jeff Passan of ESPN, that D. Uh, Gordon Strange signed a minor league deal with Pittsburgh, uh, opting out of his deal with the Chicago Cubs. And I guess he had contracts with the Milwaukee Brewers and the Cincinnati Reds as well. But D. Gordon Strange decided to sign with Pittsburgh and... To me, Jim, I think that is a sign that Pittsburgh is getting ready themselves to trade Adam Frazier. And uh, I give a lot of people credit on Twitter because they pointed this out to me, uh, that it'll be after the All-Star game, because uh, obviously Pittsburgh wants their guy uh, in that uniform starting in the All-Star game, uh, something that they can promote. But I do wonder, because the All-Star game is next Tuesday, that Wednesday, is there a trade? Can the White Sox, you know, beat the crowd and get a deal done during the All-Star break for Adam Frazier? Uh, And Eduardo Escobar is in the same boat, too. He made it to the All-Star game, and he's repping the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I'm sure the Diamondbacks don't want to trade their only All-Star representative until after the All-Star game. So I guess my question to you, Jim, is on Wednesday, July 14th, will the trade talks and the trade activity really pick up after the All-Star game? 
I imagine so. I, I completely missed that Eduardo Escobar was an all-star. I did not catch that name because I didn't think his numbers were that good, and they are not. <laughs> it's just uh, it's someone's uh, so got to make the all-star not, team, Jim. <laughs> yeah, I was not mistaken, at least. I, I thought, like, uh, man, if I uh, if he's really having an all-star season, then I miswrote that post <laughs> about that trade room. Uh, I, I must have been reading somebody else's line, but nope, that was not it. Like, he is not Nick Ahmed. He has a 300 OBP. Like, he's. A little bit better. He's heated up as of late, but yeah, he's not, you know, it's an okay season, you know, power laden season, but uh, yeah, it's the, the thing that's weird about Escobar is like Bob Nightingale had that tweet where he said like, he's going to be a white Sox and mm-hmm. Nightingale's he's weird. Like he's like, he, he's got some, you just edit yeah, there. Yeah. Bob Nightingale. He's yeah, weird. Just, <laughs> and uh you know he uses the word uh, fabulous a lot he's, he's got some weird twitter ticks that like uh I, I don't know exactly how to read but usually when it comes to like saying a player is going to be in one team like he doesn't he doesn't have like a kind of tongue-in-cheek mode or like a sense you know, like a sneaky sense of humor to where like he's like poking fun at uh inevitability like he doesn't operate on an ironic level so it's uh so I tend to take him at his word when it comes to like a player, you know, moving to another team or that being like a foregone conclusion. So that seems like it's just kind of dangling out there. And while he's wrong enough to, you know, I guess not, you know, take him for granted, like, you know, like the way, like the scoop mongers just, you know, they swing and miss, like he's, you know, swung and miss enough. But when it comes to like the white Sox and his direct line, to uh you know jerry reinsdorf and kenny williams and all that just like it would seem like that would be a really big miss or a really big um errant erroneous tweet that uh he wouldn't be able like just kind of like shrug or like you know i mean he shrugs off because he doesn't seem like he interacts or really reads his comments and i probably wouldn't either but just like he doesn't seem like uh you know it's one that he could say like i was just joking or like i was just you know just a gag. He's he's not somebody who goofs around really. Uh, so well, the last the, the the last deal like big deal that he got way off was the Trevor Bauer, which I think he announced that Trevor Bauer was going to be signing with the New York Mets, and ended up obviously being wrong and signing with the Dodgers. But I think Trevor Bauer yeah. himself fueled that because he released merchandise saying that he was signing with the Mets. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. It was, you know, he, he basically is trolling the entire fan base. So, and the, and that's what his agent seems supportive of it too. So, you know, I'm guessing if he heard something at the agent level, then, you know, imagine that's how he did it. But yeah, when a lot of people got Bauer wrong and Bauer wanted people to get it wrong. So I don't necessarily, yeah, I shrugged that one off. I think the Dodgers feel that they got Bauer (laughs) wrong right now. Yeah. That's a mess, but uh, yeah, it's, there have been some other ones too, where he just, you know, kind of jumped the gun or got the, you know, said a team was closing in on another team ends up, uh, you know, closing the deal of them out. And the other, uh, the fan base that missed out is the one that's, uh, in his, uh, mentions forever, um, <laughs> communicating him. So yeah, that's, uh, I, I don't think he, you know, when he's wrong, he's just wrong, but he's not like wrong on like that sly level. Like he, uh, you know, said with the white Sox, so that one still confuses me. And if Escobar is not on the White Sox at some point, I would be surprised just because it would just seem like such a weird, even by his standards, a strange tweet. Well, he, he posts lots of strange tweets. It's, it's been quite the calendar year in strange tweets from Bob Nightingale. Uh, but back to with the White Sox DFA Adam Eden. 
and Eloy Jimenez is going to be returning to the White Sox within 20 days. The fact that they have an eight-game lead uh, in the division, and now that they don't have Yasmani Grandal for the next four to six weeks, do you think the targets for Rick Hahn to add to this team before the trade deadline, Jim, have they changed this week at all? Maybe a little bit because of Larry Garcia, like him playing so well, showing the power that he was completely missing first couple of months, basically back up to his regular two wins above replacement standard, uh, filling in a bunch of positions. That, I think, changes the calculus to where second base is fine. I, I don't think second base or the outfield is fine. Like he finds like a great deal for a second baseman. Uh, then he can move Garcia to the outfield and have him mixed there and he's fine. But like he doesn't, it's not a pressing matter the way it was when Garcia had like a, you know, OPS plus in the 70s. It might still be there, but like, <laughs> I don't know his exact OPS plus now, but just when he was really languishing and Danny Mendick was fading and he just had no production from that spot. But with Garcia showing that pop that he occasionally has and, and getting hot and, and having a surprisingly high RBI total because he, you know, he's, he's feisty when it comes to rising scoring position, maybe not clutch, but he doesn't have like, he's not somebody who can feel like is, is at this point, like a give up at bats. Like I think he's competitive when he's in the box. Uh, that I think simplifies the matter. I think it still makes sense to add a position player, but it can't be an outfielder. It can't be an infielder. Um, but second base is not the acute problem it was before. So I think it gives Han some flexibility. If he doesn't want to get rid of a prospect that he uh, really treasures and he can find uh, another deal for another position that doesn't require that player, then I think uh, he has the flexibility to do so that maybe wasn't there like two or three weeks ago. What's influenced the change in my mind, because I slightly disagree with you because I think on Wednesday, I'm next Wednesday after the All-Star game, I'm definitely going to be on go get Adam Frazier is, and I'm going to totally regret saying this, but the athletic had a post in which the Pittsburgh Pirates beat writer was proposing deals to Jim Bowden, which Jim Bowden is the resident ex-GM for the athletic. And the Pirates beat reporter offered for a deal in which the White Sox would receive Adam Frazier and reliever Chris Dren, that they would trade Matthew Thompson, Brian Ramos, and Bailey Horn to Pittsburgh. And in my opinion, it's like, well, then why is Adam Frazier not in a White Sox uniform right now? And if it's, mm -hmm. well, we want him to be in the All-Star game repping us, okay, from Denver, he is flying to Chicago because I need him in a uniform for that Houston series. <laughs> like, if that's what it's going to take, do it because you can replace Thompson and you can replace Ramos in this upcoming Major League Baseball draft that starts on Sunday. Like, that doesn't empty out your farm system to add a player like Adam Frazier. And for me, I think Lurie Garcia is most valuable in the super utility role, especially in August and September, where you want him to be moving around the diamond. Give Tim Anderson a day off. Give Yohan Makata a day off. Uh, spell someone in right field. Like, Lurie Garcia is going to play in four games a week. He's just not going to be at one position because he's going to be spelling time for everyone on the diamond to try to keep those legs fresh for a deep postseason run. There... The debate is not Lurie Garcia against Adam Frazier. It's Adam Frazier against Danny Mendick. And I know there are fans of Danny mm -hmm. Mendick, and Mendick's a good story. Former 20th round pick, working his way to get into the major leagues. 
But come on, guys. Upstate New York come, guy. Upstate New York guy. But yeah. no. I even if this is a career year for Adam Frazier, I would rather have Adam Frazier as the starting second baseman for the 2021 White Sox in the second half going into the postseason and not Danny Mendick. Lurie Garcia is that super utility guy. That was his role going into the season. Move him back there. He's going to play every day, but he's just going to be at multiple positions every single week. And that's perfectly fine for the White Sox. So for me, if that is truly what Ben Charrington is telling Rick Hahn, that's what it's going to take to get Adam Frazier. Then on Wednesday, after the All-Star game, I need Frazier on a flight from Denver to O'Hare because he is playing for the White Sox in that weekend series against the Houston Astros. Uh, So that's just how I feel uh, about as far as that particular trade. And again, that's being influenced with what I read from The Athletic, and it could be way off. Yeah, when it comes to Bowden, I don't pay attention to him just because... like, (laughs) And there you go, just crushing my dream right there. Specifically with him, like several years ago, he got busted like retweeting a fake account uh, oh, that. Yeah. What was that? That was the oh, Ralph scandal. We need Dan uh, Zaborski. That was... Uh, yeah, Ralph. Yeah. Ralph, yes. Yeah, Marlon Bird for Carlos Guzman. So, yeah. And then he, like, tweeted Bird to Yankees and didn't credit the account that he thought was Joel Sherman's. And it was a fake Joel Sherman account with a lowercase... Uh, or with an uppercase I instead of an L. So, and then he ended up melting down and, like, deleted, deleted his tweets and, like, changed his account name to Ralph. Like, it was just... Uh, yeah, so that kind of... Uh, um, you know, forever that that's kind of etched in my mind in terms of like not trusting where he gets his information from. If he's retweeting or like, you know, played lifting off fake accounts and then melting down afterwards. So that's why I don't trust him. But like in that case, like Thompson doesn't make sense. Cause he's hurt right now. Um, I mean, he's got upside and, and continue crushing my yeah, dreams. Like he's yeah. Like, <laughs> and I like, I like Ramos. Like I had him in my top 10. Um, the, you know, when I saw mm-hmm. that his name mentioned, I was like, Ooh, that would hurt. Uh, just because I've liked him as a prospect. He's my favorite of that echelon of prospects. Um, Jose Rodriguez is nice too, but for some reason I just like Ramos's skill set more. Um, having him in that deal, like that kind of hurts a little bit, but then I think like a couple years ago, that was Bryce Bush to me, like, you know, encouraging first half season. And then he's been hurt ever since. So it would have been foolish to let Bryce Bush get in the way of a deal that helps the team for a year plus. So yeah, that, that wouldn't get in my way, but yeah, just, you having Thompson being the combination of Thompson being hurt and Bowden having the Ralph history just makes me completely write that off. All right. So Jim has wrote off my dream. So I'll be depressed now uh, until something does happen. But I, I think if the pirates have told D Gordon strange, if you sign with us, I know it's a minor league deal now, but there's a really good chance he could be playing the major leagues. I wonder if Ben Charrington is going to be making a move before July 31st and move Adam Frazier. I just feel that way that Adam Frazier is not going to be on the Pittsburgh Pirates come August 1st. He'll be joining some other team. Uh, and I still feel like he'd be a great fit for the White Sox. But the other trade targets, another one that's came up again, back to the Asmani Grandal injury, missing the next four to six weeks. Uh, one, I still don't buy Zach Collins as a catcher. Boy, he is going to need to learn how to frame some pitches in the lower part of the strike zone, or this is going to be a long month watching him behind the plate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everyone is running on him. I know the White Sox pitchers are not very good holding runners, and that's something that they need to work on. But my 
God, every team is running on him right now. I don't know what it is because baseball savant conveniently got rid of pop time for catchers, measuring how quick they are from behind home plate to second base. Uh, they stopped tracking that for some reason. Hmm. Maybe that's a, an issue with Hawkeye, uh, which is the new technology that they use instead of TrackMan. Yeah, 2019 is uh, last year. I saw it on the leaderboard still exists, but not updated since 2019. Right. And that would help because I I don't know why everyone's just running on Zach Collins. So he's not framing pitches in lower part of the zone. That's not good when trying to catch Carlos Rodon. He needs those strikes, especially with the slider Uh, and his blocking and his pitch calling. It's sometimes I'm just like rubbing my foreheads. Like, why are you tripling up on these pitches? Is this something that you learned from James McCann and you think it's going to work for everyone? Yeah. I'm really not buying him as a defensive catcher. And then there's Sebi Zavala in which Lance Lynn gave a lot of praise to Sebi Zavala for his work behind home plate. The defensive side, it's not the problem with Sebi. The problem with Sebi Zavala is that he can't hit and you can't have any expectations of him to do anything offensively. So right now the White Sox have someone that is really good against right-handers and Zach Collins offensively. And the pitcher's like working with him, and I'm not exactly sure why, because he's not a very good defensive catcher. And then he got a no-bat defensive catcher in Sebi Zavala. And we got this question from one of our Twitter followers, should the White Sox go and find another catcher? I, I don't think it's another catcher to replace Zach Collins. I think Zach Collins is the primary catcher for the next four to six weeks, even though it may drive me crazy. Uh, it, it, I think it's, do you trust Sebi Savala enough, Jim, to back up Zach Collins or should the White Sox pick up the phone and call Atlanta and see about getting Jonathan Lucroy back? I, I think it's going to be that kind of acquisition, like the Lucroy type, like I'm thinking like past years, like Dustin Garneau is kind of my, my go-to random replacement level <laughs> catcher who can, you know, step in for a couple weeks, call credible games. Nobody minds having him around, has an occasional hits. Uh, you don't want him basically part of your plans, but he's freely, somehow always freely available, like for every team. <laughs> and he comes in and, and, and is usually like a relief. Like people are happy to that he shows up. So it's a weird niche that he kind of occupies. Uh, yeah, 140 games over six years <laughs> just with, uh, and five teams. So he's played six years for five teams, 140 games scattered over those years, just the perfect freely available catcher. And I think that's um, the kind of guy I look for. Lucroy might be at that level now. Uh, Zavala, it's, you know, for years I've been thinking like, why are the White Sox carrying five catchers? <laughs> like, why is, you know, <laughs> why is he still on the, uh, the 40 man? Yeah. It seems like that's just yeah. a real inefficiency. And I guess they showed me because <laughs> uh, Zavala <laughs> looks like the, uh, you know, best catcher available, truly available of the, of the bunch um, such that it is, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I thought Lynn's quotes after the game were partially like, um, well, Lynn pitched well or the, the line was good. So, you know, I think he wants to kind of, you know, pump up a rookie who's maybe, mm-hmm. yeah, has to occupy a role that's above his pay grade right now just because it's an emergency and you just kind of need everybody to help however they can. And Zavala, you know, caught a decent game and he laid down a sack bunt. So he's he's trying to help. And I think that's kind of where he is right now. But I think... They're going to be monitoring, the, I think, the waiver wire. I saw Wilson Ramos went to Cleveland, but he's somebody I Jerks. think. Jerks. Yeah, but I think. <laughs> That's like perfect. <laughs> I But I don't think, I think he's maybe uh, too, like, I think he's somebody who doesn't help. Like his bat shot and his framing is 
terrible as well. So I think he's somebody mm. where I think you just go for like a framing first, or at least you know an average framing catcher who can yeah. And I'll use batting average here because I think it's the simplest way to measure a catcher. Like hit two hundred. I think that's kind of the guy they're looking for right now. <laughs> Like if he hits like 200, 270, 320, like that would be ideal for a guy who doesn't like hemorrhage strikes. And that's enough to get by until Grandall comes back. That might be Sebi. Do you think Sebi Zavala can do that? No, not 200 seems aspirational because he's been struggling to do that in AAA. So. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think they should call Atlanta because right now Jonathan Lucroy's with Gwinnett, the AAA team. He's not hitting there. I just don't think he's thrilled to be in triple a right now yeah and the, uh, you know, but i, hard to know how I would much, call luke I would, I would try to get luke it's hard to know how much the white Sox liked him too because we thought that he had the inside track but then you realize that tony larusa complimented True. everybody <laughs> so yeah there was no way to well, read he's, his uh, language if you want somebody to learn quickly though i mean he worked yeah. with all the pitchers in spring training so you're hoping that he didn't lose that knowledge from the work in February and March. And he's someone that can come in. And again, he's not replacing Zach Collins. Zach Collins is going to be the primary catcher until Grandal returns. You're, you're, you're trying to see, can you find someone better than Sebi Zavala to be the backup for Zach Collins? And I think Lou Croy can be better uh, than Sebi Zavala. But again, Lance Lynn did praise Sebi Zavala. So we'll see what happens in the next game. Sebi Zavala catches. And there is the bullpen. So we talked about as far as adding another bat, uh, whether that's out in the outfield or in second base. Uh, we talked about as far as maybe getting another backup catcher to help out over the next four to six weeks with Grandal out. The bullpen. Every team, Jim, is going to be looking for bullpen help. Every team to get themselves ready for the postseason. For the White Sox, how big of a priority is it to add another reliever to their bullpen? think one outside arm would help. Like, I don't think it necessarily needs to be a high leverage guy, especially if they get closer to the postseason and think like, okay, Michael Kopech is not needed as a starter. Like we can get by, we can get through like August and September with Jimmy Lambert and uh, just a bunch of emergency starters coming up, bullpen games, openers, that sort of thing, just to cross the day off the calendar. And I think if Kopech can be, uh, devoted to an inning or two at a time, like doing the one-man bridge like he was doing before. I think that's kind of like an addition. But I think, you know, the I, I did like the idea of uh, somebody like Chris Stratton, like go back to the Bowden idea, like somebody like Stratton who is kind of like a journeyman or at least somebody who is relatively anonymous as a reliever but having a good year. Uh, he kind of reminds me a little bit of like the David Phelps conversation from last year, like having a good year, some new contender and he just explodes because he's not that lethal, but at least it would be, you're not repeating the same mistakes. You're not counting on Matt Foster turned around. You're not counting on sack birdie to uh, reach another level. You're not counting on Tyler Johnson to put it together. Cause I think he's kind of lost right now. So it seems like they could use one outside arm. Doesn't need to be a high leverage guy. That'd be, I, you know, great. But when it comes to the price of pitching and, and, you know, we talked about it before, I was looking at like strikeout rates for relievers who might be moved, you know, from, uh, you know, a team that's either rebuilding or out of it, like couldn't find many of those guys around, uh, like many players with that look like they had bankable skills and teams would want to get rid of them, uh, for, for a good price. So it's, so a, a guy like Stratton would probably be the kind yeah, of guy I, I'm thinking of. I wouldn't mind that. I mean, I've been pitching the Joaquim Soria idea for a few weeks now, old friend, uh, to help out with the White Sox in the sixth and seventh inning. I, I think that's where they, they need help right now. 
with the bullpen. But they're not alone. Every team that's that's looking right now of reaching the postseason is looking to add to their bullpen. So it's going to be a lot of activity. The White Sox are not going to be the only team searching for bullpen help. Uh, so maybe that's something that Rick Hahn will maybe have to try to beat the market uh, to get someone so he's not you know, with his hands in his pockets at the the last day of the trade deadline. And there are no good relievers left that he can add uh, to the White Sox bullpen. Because as is with the bullpen, I don't have a lot of confidence in their ability to build a bridge to Liam Hendricks. I, I just don't. But maybe when you get to the postseason, that doesn't really matter. You just ride the three or four guys you do have confidence with in the bullpen. You hope that the starting pitchers continue to perform well, and that gets you to the World Series. And then it's all hands on deck trying to win a world championship. So we'll see on, on how Tony La Russa wants to manage the bullpen, but you know, I, I'm i not I'm not overwhelmed by their production as a unit. I think some individuals are having good seasons, uh, but that is an area that the White Sox could approve upon. So right now on the shopping list, we're, what we're looking at here, a bat, Maybe some a better catcher than Sebi Savala and a reliever. That doesn't seem to be a, a very a very lengthy shopping list for Rick Hahn before the trade deadline. That or one that's an expensive shopping list either. Yeah, I, I'm noticing in the chat that Thomas said that Luke Roy is called by the Braves uh, yesterday. So what? Uh, looking at their catching situation. Yep. Yeah, their catching situation is a mess too. So they're in the same boat where they could use anything that he has left to give. Screw so. you, Atlanta. <laughs> the White Sox did it to themselves. Oh man. <laughs> they could have had Zach Collins rotting away in AAA, ready to call for this moment. Oh yeah, they could have. They could have. Well. The White Sox are in a great position, and they're going to be going to Baltimore for the final weekend uh, before the All-Star break, and it's a great time to be a White Sox fan. The White Sox are 16 games above 500, uh, and everything's looking good. They're on pace to win 96 games, and again, as we talked about at the beginning part of the show, my, my side at least is adjusting. The moves that the White Sox make between now and the trade deadline to add is not about strengthening their case to win the American League Central because the team, as is, will win the American League Central and they'll probably win the American League Central by 10-plus games. From here on out, it's all the questions are, how can the White Sox make themselves stronger so when you get into October, you are fully confident in their ability to take on Houston and Boston and Oakland and Tampa because that's what it looks like right now for the postseason for the White Sox in October. Help is coming. Aloy Jimenez is coming. Luis Robert will be after him. Hopefully, Yasmani Grandal heals up from his knee surgery and he rejoins the team. And in September 1st, we're finally going to have the, the, the lineup that we were expecting at the beginning of the season on opening day uh, for the White Sox. And maybe after that month, it gives everybody enough confidence that they could run the table and win the American League pennant in 2021. But I, I do feel, Jim, to, to wrap up this episode, that Rick Hahn has an opportunity here to make his team stronger. And I still feel like he should make those moves. Yeah, I think the, to me, you know, the positions aren't as important as somebody who adds to the top half of the lineup. As we talked about, like somebody who makes the lineup longer, doesn't fill out a lineup in the back half, adds to the top of the lineup in case Grandal is out for long, in case Jimenez is a setback. Like you can't count on any of the guys who are 
possibly coming back to come back smoothly. So for the time being, get somebody you can hit one through five, whatever position he handles, whether it's right field, second base, catcher, what have you. Terrific. Well, Jim, it's good to have you back on, man. You know, after a couple Likewise. episodes, uh, three episodes, uh, two of them running by myself, it's good to have you back in, uh, and co yeah. in this show. So, and I should say, uh, congratulations. Thank you. I am excited. Yeah. Uh, for people who don't know, Josh got engaged or Josh, uh, popped the question. Yes. So I'm and very did not happy. blow out his knee doing so. I did not. <laughs> I'm not, not having to go on the injured list. So that's, that's good. So thank you, Jim. We are very yeah. excited, very excited. So I'm very happy that she said yes. So here's to adulting. Uh, a couple of promotions from us on Sox Machine. For those that are watching the YouTube stream, you may notice the kind of hat Jim is wearing. And you may, may have asked yourself, what is that hat? And uh, that is our new Sox Machine hat. Yes, I was promising you guys that new Sox Machine swag will be coming and we do have new swag we've got socks machine caps now uh so jim what's the deets on the caps well i have a handful ready for sale uh i'll be posting a link to patreon supporters so probably tomorrow morning around 10 just you know be around your email to check to uh see if your size is available I ha i'll have a page with all the sizing details and such uh if you see it sold out, I have the back orders open, or which is effectively a pre-order. So I'll be rounding up orders probably for a week or so to just make sure that everybody who wants one can get one. And then I'll order some assorted sizes afterwards just to make sure I have extras. But uh, that'll just help me get an idea of like how many to get just to ballpark customer because I don't know how popular these will be just you know with the new line of merchandise. I think they should be popular because they're comfortable and it's uh, I made sure to keep it basic black so it goes with all your existing white sock stuff should work out pretty well so uh Josh will you know you'll have one in the mail heading your way so you'll be able to wear one as well and uh yeah just that be on the lookout for people who support us on Patreon for email probably around 10 a.m central and then uh I'll have the details up on the site later and we got a, a comment from Luke Taylor regarding the city of countryside will be promoting the podcast listen I will take the city of countryside's money I will have Jim read those ads, Luke. So let's let's make a Flag deal. Flag Creek is a perfectly good nine-hole golf course. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be some type of inside joke that I'm not aware of. I don't even know where Countryside no, it, is on the map. So, oh, it's uh, by Indian Head Park. It's like just uh, it's along uh, I-55, just off the Stevenson, where okay. it meets 294, I think. But it's just it's you know we've had people making fun of like Village of Bedford Park mm -hmm. for having those ads over the years. And City of Countryside is just like, it's, you know, Countryside's fine. Like, I've been there a bunch. Like, it's, you know, fine. Yeah, it's, there are selling points and such, but just like they, it, it just, they're trying to just sell, come to the, you know, come to the city and, and stay in our hotels. Uh, <laughs> uh, you play a nine hole golf course. And then, like, they get to the part with the restaurants and the guy says, and we all need to eat. And, like, oh, that's <laughs> just, uh, like, that's, Listen, you know, it's hard to get your basic needs met in countryside. That's kind of just <laughs> like lodging, eat, food, and uh, golf. Everybody needs water. That. Yeah, yeah. Just your, your Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Meet them in countryside. <laughs> That's kind of how it goes. Uh, so it's just a little bit weird. Like, and also whenever I hear like a Chicago suburb mentioned uh, that they're located off historic Route 66, I'm like, I'm thinking like Route 66 doesn't mean anything to the Chicago suburbs. Like. That's what you use for like a, a town uh, outpost in the middle of nowhere, like in the, 
in the you know in, in in the south or like going across the west but in chicago when you say route 66 like that doesn't that's not what you use like that's a kind of a red flag so nothing against countryside just the ads kind of need to be less sad well if you are the city manager of countryside illinois and uh you are looking to expand your advertising we at Sox Machine will be more than happy to take your money, and Jim will write a better promotional ad to promote moving or visiting to Countryside, Illinois. So spread the word, folks. Let that city manager know. <laughs> uh, a couple other promotional items. There's a lot of folks that signed up for the tailgate in Milwaukee. We'll be having that tailgate on July 24th. That is the Saturday game between the White Sox and Brewers. I know a lot of White Sox fans are going to that weekend series Please note that the Sunday game is now Sunday night baseball. When you purchased your tickets, it was originally a 1.10 p.m. Central Time start. That is now a 6.10 p.m. Central Time start as the White Sox and Brewers have been bumped to Sunday night baseball. So be aware of that. But our tailgate is still on uh, as that's a uh, 6 o'clock night game on Saturday, July 24th. And the tailgate will be starting at 3 o'clock. So it'd be great to see everybody at American Family Insurance Park in Milwaukee for the White Sox and Brewers game. And then finally on Sunday, James Fox of Future Sox and I will be hosting a live Major League Baseball draft show as the 2021 Major League Baseball draft starts on Sunday. And we're going to be doing it through Twitter spaces. So if you've got Twitter, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. I am at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Uh, I will launch the Twitter space room. And yeah, we'll be talking through all the draft picks all the way up to the White Sox making their first selection at pick 22. We'll have a recap on the Sox Machine podcast as well uh, on the White You're Sox. You're going to be worn out. Oh. That's a lot of talking for you. Yeah, yeah. I like to talk. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it'll be it'll be a good time. So you can look forward to that, and it'll be like me sitting next to you talking about the Major League Baseball draft as it is ongoing. So those are promotional items. And thank you to everyone that watched the live stream on YouTube.com slash Socks Machine. If you, uh, have you, if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel yet, we have many that have. Uh, go to YouTube.com slash Socks Machine to subscribe to our channel, then you'll get alerts when we have new episodes and new live shows. Again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine. And for those that don't get an opportunity to listen to the live stream, no worries. You will be able to listen to the podcast version wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can subscribe to the Socks Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And as Jim mentioned with the new Socks Machine swag, if you like our work and you want more, think about signing up at patreon.com slash socks machine where our patreon supporters get exclusive content they get ad free versions of both the podcast and the website uh and they get the first shot at our new swag items like the socks machine hat so if you're a patreon supporter watching or listening to this check your email friday morning for your opportunity to buy the new socks machine hat and if you're not a patreon supporter but you do like our work and you want more go to patreon.com slash socks machine and sign up today socks machine live is a production of socksmachine.com part of the blue wire podcast network and for all those that watched socks machine live thank you so much for watching and for those that are listening alongside jim margulis i'm josh nelson thanks for listening It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com